When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined back by the one the only miss ebony k williams hey david it's good to be back with you dear how are you today this morning i feel really good you know david it has been a hell of a week it's really been a hell of a couple weeks um for a lot of reasons i'm sure we will discuss um, but this morning I'm feeling good. I'm feeling very uh, motivated and optimistic and I, I'm a fall baby. You know, I just celebrated my 30th birthday. So um, this time of year, you know, I'm a really nerdy, geeky person as I think we all know now. <clears throat> so this time of year is like back to school vibes, you know, and so the little Christmas and the morning air, I just feel very excited. I am such the same way. I am I'm okay with never having a summer again. And I think like sept- September through like December 31st are the best times, of, right? You just feel totally. it. Yeah. Well, when we first sat down, it was the beginning of the Roni season. And, you know, I didn't want you to give away any spoilers because I didn't want you to lose your job, Ebony. And you said, you're not going to give away any spoilers, but you said, just, you know, buckle up, David. It's going to be one hell of a season. And it was, and here we are. So now that it's aired and it's come and gone and you reflect back, like, how do you feel? How are you? How do you feel? How do you feel this season has gone for you? Oh, wow. Big questions, David. Uh, listen, I personally feel it was an incredible season for me um, in the sense that I went in with some level of intention as to a couple of things I was really insistent upon. And we talked about some of them, right? But I, I had to do this in my complete authenticity. I had to do, and by do this, I mean show up every day filming as a housewife. I had to do so with my complete and utter authenticity. I had to bring my full self to every moment. Um, I had to create the space to evolve in my relationships with my castmates and even myself throughout the full taping. And I had to just be really open to the possibility of, of where this thing, where this play would land, so to speak. And, and I think all those things happened. And I also, you know, make no apologies about, I absolutely felt um, a tremendous and beautiful responsibility. I think when we think the word responsibility can uh, connotate um, something negative, for me, a responsibility is a privilege. Um, because I'm a woman who is never afraid to acknowledge uh, my points of privilege, and I have many. And as the first Black woman to occupy a uh, space on Real Housewives of New York as a housewife and hold an apple, of course, I felt really, really 
um, motivated and incentivized to show the beauty of the Black American experience, particularly here in New York. So that's why, you know, when producers told me, okay, kid, you know, it's time you're first up to bat. It's time for your first debut Housewives dinner party soiree. It was always going to be a night in Harlem um, that featured, you know, Black vendors, Harlem Candle Company, a Black woman, queer Black woman who owned um, B Squared, where we dined and had a delicious four-course meal. Um, You guys didn't hear it, but we had these really dope um, Hispanic uh, gentlemen who serenaded us with live music all night, um, who are from Spanish Harlem, which is another element of Harlem that people sometimes don't know about. So um, those things were just important to me, David, to also show my work that I've been doing for many years around the, the healing and um, empowerment of the relationship between Black and Jewish communities. Um, you know, Archie's been a longtime friend of mine. And, you know, to be, when I went to Bravo and said, hey, I'd love to do a Black Shabbat dinner. Uh, because we do these in real life all the time. And I would love to show that to the world and this audience. And I also think it would be a good way, same with Harlem Night. I thought those would be great ways, David, for my castmates who, spoiler alert, had no idea who I was before I was cast on this show, right? So like, there's a difference there. This is not, you know, Dorinda Medley coming in, you know, filming with her friends of 20 years, which I could argue is, you know, an easier way to do this, Um, but that just wasn't the option here. So we're meeting each other as women and developing relationships in real time. And what better way for these women to get to know me and what I enjoy and what I find fun and stimulating than participate in the events that I do in my real life with my everyday friends. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have any highs and lows like overall for the season? Yeah, so I think, you know, like I I, I just kind of ran through the big bucket items that I wanted to accomplish were accomplished. Highs, um, you know, I think for me, a high was Harlem night. I, I, I don't care what anybody says. I thought it was a beautiful night, like visually, aesthetically beautiful. If you were in the room that night and you had any um, concern whatsoever as to what was going on, it was a fantastic meal. It was a fantastic evening. Um, and it felt there was a magic in the air. Um, and it was really special. So Harlem night is a night I will always be proud of and was, and I had the time of my life. Uh, a low for me. Hmm. I obviously, I think there were a lot of things in, in Salem that were a low for me. I think that night, um, you know, the night that my grandmother died, um, and that's the night that, you know, Ramona and Luann and I, you know, end up having a very difficult, um, but I felt necessary conversation about values um, as it relates to culture and identity. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, I would say rock bottom in this way, David. I believe in order to progress and build, you've kind of got to hit that bottom point to know like we're at baseline. And now from baseline, we can build upwards. So I think that was baseline for us. And that was hard. And and on top of it, it literally was the evening my grandmother transitioned um, to heaven. So that was really hard. Wow. Yeah, that's not easy. Will you talk about all the things that, you know, the big overarching things you came in to accomplish, which like I think you accomplished. What about like the online chatter and people's reactions? You know, like when you hear things, you know, like 
we want our housewives light and fluffy and we want to talk about martinis and cosmos and drinks and you know we don't want politics and race and all these serious issues like which yeah. when you read that online i mean to me that's obviously directed towards you like how yes. do you right i mean how does that like does that affect you or are you good at just shrugging all that off you know I'm, I'm a human being, David. So, you know, I feel things and I get emotional um, just like anybody else. So when I was first hearing that, I was really taken aback, actually. I, I kind of feel a little naive here saying this to you. I don't think I quite anticipated how, how, how much vitriol there would be around the audacity of me to bring these full aspects of myself and my identity to the show. Now, a couple of things on this, right? So my background in television is in news, right? So obviously it's the opposite dynamic where in news, it is celebrated and applauded to have my skill set and my skill set. And I actually think it's my gift is to be able to facilitate uh, civil discourse where people aren't screaming or yelling or calling each other names, um, really civil discourse about these, you know, difficult, challenging, sometimes divisive, certainly polarizing topics um, like race in particular. Um, I can also do it around a, a litany of other things that we talk about in news that I agree have no place on a housewife show, for instance. And, and I also just want to talk about the conflation, David, of politics and race, uh, because they're actually not even at all related. Um, the reality is, you know, now I was coming on the show and I was like, good evening, ladies. So nice for you to join me for my dinner party. Now let's talk about your positions on the Iran deal. I agree, out of order. That, that is the nature of politics and it has no place on this show. But when we're talking about feelings, understanding, of an aspect, a big aspect of my identity, which is my blackness and my black womanhood, which I am in such a love affair with, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you repudiate that as my castmate and you, you stonewall me in even the mentioning of blackness, whether it's in the context of Harlem night or black Shabbat, it's like black, ah, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, it's, it, 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 it's really insane to me. Um, and then in the same breath say, you really want to get to know and connect with me. And I think a good example of what I'm talking about is what we just saw in this uh, week's episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, right? I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals 
with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Where Garcelle, you know, was really, in my opinion, pushed to the brink of emotional breakdown, right? And only when she got to a place of emotional breakdown, shedding tears of pain and frustration, did you even see a little bit of an opening from some of her castmates to fully see her? And it read to me, David like there was some sense like she almost had to be pushed she Garcelle had to be pushed into emotional submission it it was as if she had to be broken in emotionally around how otherized she has felt as a black woman amongst this group and I think that's a tragedy right I think it's a real sad commentary on how irresponsible most all of us are um, as, as, a, as American people um, in our ability to sit as adults and sit in full embrace of each other's identities and authenticity. And when Garcelle, I mean, it was very difficult for me to watch that scene because I know that feeling. I live it every day just like Garcelle does too. And to see the reaction from some of her castmates and even Kyle, who I appreciate Kyle's um, point of view and her lived experience, because that's all we all have is our own lived experiences. And Kyle says, you know, I have noticed it because Garcia's like, have y'all not noticed how absolutely difficult this is for me and how hard I'm trying to quote fit in? And Kyle admits, which I appreciate, I've noticed it and I've chosen not to say anything. And you could see the instant of Garcelle's frustration, which is if you don't say anything, it doesn't count really. You know, right. your, your silence is not helping. The silence, the, the looking away of the difficult thing only makes it worse. And I think that's important. And, and the last thing I'll say on this, because I woke up this morning excited that we were going to have this conversation, David, because I think it's really going to be informative to people of all races, including Black women and other women of color, to understand that this great experiment, right, that that the network has undertaken, that I think is completely and totally necessary to say in 2021, we're going to recognize that it's a bit irresponsible to have shows be as racially segregated and culturally segregated as they have been. And we're going to take women of color and we're not going to just take any old women of color, right? Like, let's look at the slate here, starting with Garcelle Boudet, you know, um, then Dr. Tiffany Moon in Dallas. Then you've got me in New York. And now you've got Crystal Kong-Minkoff as well in Beverly Hills. And, you know, I know there's more shows to come that are going to start integrating their cast as well. You're taking highly, high achieving, you're taking extremely well-accomplished women of color who are coming into all white spaces and there's not been a lot of infrastructure socially that has been done 
on the front end of our integration into these all white casts. And now I think it's important to acknowledge the thing that's like obvious, but no one's saying. Our society, <clears throat> our society, David, consists of something called like a white normalcy. The default cultural mechanism in American society is whiteness. I think we have to acknowledge that. Just, you know what else it's like? It, the default uh, normative status in America is heterosexuality. So when a homosexual person finds themselves in a, in a space, there's generally an expectation that they adopt a heteronorm position. And it's fucked up. And it's just as fucked up when you take a black woman in the case of me and Garcelle, you take Chinese women in the case of Tiffany and Crystal, and you say, now go play. Now go play, now go have fun, now go um, minimize aspects of your identity and, and life wins that you've had for 40 plus years for most of us, somewhere close. Um, divorce yourself from that and go fit into a white normative socially. See how that is really complicated and it's been really clumsily handled um, by most parties involved. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, as a gay man, that makes sense to me, you know. And right? Like, how annoying would it be if, like, you were, you know, put on, it could be a show, it, it could also be a job, right? I'm sure you've had that experience as a professional man, as a lawyer. You know, hey, this is your practice group, David. You're going to be with the real estate group at the firm. And it's a bunch of fucking, you know, cigar smoking, bro-y assholes, right? And then they say, now go fit into the workplace culture. Good luck. And if you don't fit into it, David, by, by divorcing yourself from your identity and by minimizing things that come natural to you, whether it's your style of dress or your mannerisms or your tone of voice or your inflection, if you don't uh, code switch and you don't assimilate to that bro-y heteronormative culture, it's your fault. And you've ruined the work toxic. You've, you've become toxic in the workplace and you've ruined their good time and you've ruined um, the dynamic of the workplace. Well, Ebony, that was my experience when I first started practicing corporate tax law. So yeah. I know it was. Yeah. That's why I said it. They were not. Right? So, right. It's true. And that's probably a huge reason you're not doing that anymore because it wasn't worth it to you, David. And I applaud you, by the way, just you know, counselor to counselor here, I applaud you for saying it is not worth me sacrificing my authentic identity to be a part of this. Fuck them, you know, and there's another way for me to earn a living, use my skill set, use my training and get to show up in my full authenticity. And that's called freedom. That's called freedom. Well, thank you, because I would agree with all of that. If you've ever dreamed of having the chance to win awesome prizes like a classic 1968 Mercedes-Benz, karaoke with Charlize Theron, or my personal favorite, family dinner with the Jonas Brothers and VIP tickets to their show, oh yeah, then you have to check out Omaze, the new way to give back to charity and have fun doing it. Here's how Omaze works. You enter for the chance to win something amazing, and at the same time, you can donate to support great causes 
causes. It's fun, it's easy, and it's a way for nonprofits to raise money and for you to win big prizes, like a multi-million dollar house in Miami. No, really, you guys have to check out this house. It's seven bedrooms, six bathrooms, has a gym, an elevator, and hello, do you understand it's Miami? Perhaps you'll run into one of our friends, the Real Housewives of Miami. Here's how it works. Go to amaze.com slash velvet rope and select Miami Dream House or a different experience of your choosing. Once you've selected your prize, choose a donation amount from $10 to $150. The more you donate, the more entries you get. It's as simple as that. Enter today for your chance to win the Miami Dream House or other life-changing prizes and experiences. Just go to omaze.com slash velvet rope. Plus, you now receive 20 extra entries when you enter the code velvet rope. That's O-M-A-Z-E dot com slash velvet rope. Well, you obviously have a lot to say. Do you feel, you know, that there's no closure for you in a sense, just because, you know, there is no reunion for Roni this season? Like, do you feel this lack of closure? I do. I do. And I've expressed that um, to all parties involved. And I think a reunion would have been wonderful for a a lot of different reasons, not just for me. Um, I think a, a reunion would have been fantastic for the viewers, Um, You know, no matter, you know, if they absolutely loved this season, if they felt frustration or confusion around this season, I think many people at minimum had unanswered questions around this season. And I think, excuse me, a reunion would have done a lot of good by way of being able to open up um, the, the opportunity to have exchange and dialogue. And for me also to do a lot of listening, you know, there has really been no conversation at all between me and some of these castmates since May. Um, and so that's a long time to not know uh, where people are on, on, on the episodes, on the press, on the social media. And I think, I think it's a missed opportunity. Is there one person or one thing in particular you wanted to kind of like, did you want to address someone in particular or get one particular thing off your chest or did you just <laughs> do all that? <laughs> I got a lot of it off my, you know, I'm I'm not one to sit around biting my tongue. We know that. Um, So it's not, I don't have anything at all to get off of my chest. I think the one person I've literally had zero communication with since May is Luann. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of noise, you know, and people talk a lot and she said this and that. And it's like, you know, I I don't, I don't play in that sandbox. You know, I don't, I don't do the mess. Um, so I would, I would have looked forward to the opportunity to look my castmate who, for, for, for better or for worse, we completed, um, you know, uh, unprecedented season of filming a show in a pandemic together. We did that. Um, I have mutual respect for her as such. And how, how, how are you feeling? You know, ask her those questions. How are you feeling? What is it that you might want to express to me about your perception as to the episodes, what's happened since, and just share any thoughts. Um, Because I think that's what's productive is being direct with your feelings, um, whatever they are, with the person you actually have the feeling toward. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And you've been in contact with everyone else, including Ramona? In some way. Mm -hmm. Well, I saw that gorgeous white dress that you were going to wear. Are you, have you worn it? And- are you going to wear it for something else? 
I have not worn it. Um, you know, the the sad thing is that uh, Essie, that brilliant, incredible uh, Nigerian designer who custom made that gown for me, um, was going to gift me with that dress, of course, in exchange for the ability to wear it on the Roni reunion. Because the reunion is not happening, I couldn't accept that gift. You know, that woman put hours and thousands and thousands of dollars into the gown. So that is her gown. We did name it the Ebony. So I'm sure some delighted woman will get to wear that somewhere very special. I think so. Well, it was gorgeous. So hopefully you'll wear it somewhere. Thank you. Maybe you'll wear it on a date somewhere. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I'll just wear it to pick up some Pinkberry, David. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, on that note, we saw you with the matchmaker this season. And I know when you yes. were here last time, you mentioned you had a date that very night we spoke. What's what's going on with your dating life, Abney? Yeah, it's very active. It's very active. Um, I have still not met the one or fallen in love. But um, even since our last conversation, which has been months ago, I have gone out with some incredible men. Some of them two, three dates. Some of them one date. Some of them virtual dates. Some of them in-person dates. Some of them destination dates, which I didn't know was a thing until now. Um, so listen, it's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot, even still at this age and life point about like what I really value in a man. And I mean, not to get too psycho babble, but not having any father, anything for 37 years, um, you know, definitely complicates your expectation of what a man is in your life. And so just the mere knowing I have an actual father, knowing his name, knowing he exists, um, despite, you know, the relationship between him and I not really progressing at this point yet, um, just those fundamentals of knowing I have a father and knowing what he looks like and what his name is, has really helped alleviate some of the, I think, wire crossing that I had been doing in relationships where it's like, is there some part of me even subconsciously that's expecting this man to be a little bit of a father, you know, and letting go of that expectation and recognizing that little Ebony, sadly, will just never get that, right? Like we can't go back in time and recapture what should have been that paternal relationship throughout my you know, child rearing years, right? Yeah. That, 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 sadly, that ship has sailed. But now, Big Ebony gets to um, define and establish what a husband role looks like, what a man in my life at this point as two fully formed adults, um, what that looks like. And that's been a really cool learning process. That's good. And in a way, the show probably helped with that in the sense that, I mean, I don't know yes. if maybe you were going to look for your father regardless, but I mean, that probably was tied into this, right? This whole experience. Yeah. I mean, I was going to look for him and I had been procrastinating around that for forever. Uh, and what the show did was give me a, a little more, two things, the show and COVID gave me urgency around it because everything that I did by way of the show was about what can I do in on this platform that's going to help other people 
right? Um, and of course, you can imagine the hundreds um, of DMs and, and comments that I've gotten from other people um, in similar situations who have now taken the steps to find their father, mother, sister, brother, family. Um, so that's really rewarding. Nothing says fall like soft, plush, merino wool. For the third year in a row, Rothy's is launching an exclusive autumn collection featuring washable merino wool styles. They're incredibly comfortable, cozy, and 100% machine washable. Hey, it's 2021. Who has time for uncomfortable shoes? That's why I turn to Rothy's. Plus, they come in a variety of colors, patterns, and styles. Wait, you want to know what is my favorite thing about Rothy's? My favorite thing is that they're not just for women anymore. They're now available for men as well. They're durable, they're washable, and they're great for the planet. To help you welcome fall season in style, Rothy's is doing something special. That's right. They gave us the chance to share this super rare opportunity with our listeners for a limited time. Right now, you get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash velvet. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash velvet. Head to rothys.com slash velvet to find your new favorites today. They're comfortable, they're machine washable, and they're perfect for the fall. Rothys. And what the show also did is I didn't know there was such a thing as a genetic investigator. So after I did the DNA test with Ashley, who was the only kind of lead I'd ever had around my way of father, and that came back that it wasn't a match. So that man wasn't my father. That would have been the end of the road for me. Like, okay, I tried. I failed. Sad. What the show did was go research and figure out, oh, wow, there's actually a genetic investigator, which is a, a whole thing I didn't know existed, that can take just your DNA. Because that's that was what was hard. It's, like, it's not like I had a name or a city or a location. I just had nothing. Wow. You know, and I thought if you don't have some facts for an investigator, they're not going to be able to do their job. And I found out all you need is saliva. And that was something positive that came out of this whole experience. Extremely. Like, I mean, that probably, you know, in retrospect, that's actually obviously my high note, finding my father, followed by her own name. Yes. Both of those. Yeah. Do you feed into, you know, now that the season's over and we talk about closure and, you know, do you feed into all the online? I mean, I call them internet trolls. You could say chatter where there's all these rumors, you know, about casting and like this one's going to be a friend and Ramona's going to be a friend and these people aren't going to be back. Like, do you, does that cause you angst and do you feed into all that nonsense? It causes me zero angst. Um, and the reason why is just I've been in the business and, and some of these aspects of the business are unique to reality. And some of them is just the business. Right. Uh, television's a business, you know, and there's not going to be any reality in which the executives that are tasked with making these big time casting decisions, they're, they're not going to do themselves a disservice by prematurely making those decisions without giving themselves all the time in the world to see what works. So what we do know is that the casting for Roni, you know, that's a long process in terms of, you know, meeting and as they do every season, meeting, interviewing new women um, to think about what additions can be made. So, I mean, I think look at Orange County as a perfect example as to see just how thorough that process is. I'm sure there were a million considerations as to do we scrap the whole thing and start over fresh? Do we bring back an old, you know, a historic veteran and mix that with the new? Uh, do we do, it's just so many different 
possible combinations, David. Yeah. And what, what is clear to me is that all of this stupid, to me, it's very, very like silly and stupid and like very bored people literally making up um, cast. Like what? Like, you know, it's just really random. So no, I don't, I don't pay it any never mind, as we say in the South. And yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm living my life. I am a working businesswoman. Um, I'm having great conversations with people like you about an incredible first year experience. And that's, you know, I'm sure that I will get a call from someone with authority when that time comes. Totally. Well, if you were the one in authority, Ebony, would you bring back anyone from the past, all these wonderful people from the past? Like anyone come to the top of your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious, you know, thought is Dorinda for, for to me in terms, and I don't know Dorinda Bentley. I've never had a conversation with her. But, you know, I, again, I also think our show just needs more women. I mean, it needs so many more experiences and perspectives. I also think God bless veteran Roni talent and women, but I don't know that you can continue to try to rehabilitate um, stories and, and things that people love so much from 15 years ago, 13 years ago. Like, I, 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 I think there's something around nostalgia that is really comforting to all of us, right? So whether it's rewatching Scary Island for the umpteen time or rewatching, you know, Jill and Ramona on the tennis courts or, you know, Luann, you know, saying, baby, you know, we're going to get that yacht, whatever it is. Um, I love all those moments too. I just don't think you can kind of put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, I think at some point people have to accept that those moments as iconic as they were, were those moments. And this, this insistence and this kind of fantasy really of recreating those moments with those women might be uh, a fool's errand. Yeah. And just like in life, right? It's always about moving forward and learning and just life changes. Yeah. And it's accepting that that was amazing at that time and right. being happy that it happened and grateful that we'll always have those episodes and moments and iconic one-liners and then realizing that you can't continue to wish for the fantasy of repeating magic, basically. Right. What about all just, I mean, and then we'll move on from this, but what about all those, you know, Bethany, 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 everyone mentions Bethany every other sentence. I mean, listen, that's another person I don't know at all, but I, I'll tell you this. I mean, I don't think there's ever been anybody to manifest uh, just everything from being a housewife. I, I, I guess my question would be, I mean, I think Bethany's always going to be an interesting person, an interesting story, just watching her move. I know that she's a mentor in my head by way of business and, and what she's building and, and, and all of that. I don't know that she would be incentivized. I think the question would be, what in the hell would she get out of coming back to the show? Yeah, she's busy. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Well, you talk about manifesting things. The last time you were here, you mentioned Megan McCain and I asked you and it just triggered me. I said, would you ever consider, you know, being a part of the view? Cause I see that as a natural fit and talk about putting it out into the world. I mean, I'm not taking credit for this or anything, Ebony, but. Oh, I knew you, I knew you would, David. I knew you would. Now, listen, 
This chat is all about you. It is not about me, but you know, congratulations. You're so sweet, my dear. No, thank you. No, you were the first in like a public conversation to, you know, kind of go there and like toss that possibility out into the universe. So that's, that was pretty cool. Um, thank you. Listen, I'm, I'm not playing a coy. I mean, it's a dream job. I told you that when you brought it up months ago. So to see my name, even in print, um, alongside the, you know, The View and Condoleezza Rice and, you know, Carly Fiorina and, you know, all these other iconic women that are going to have an opportunity to sit at that table. Um, it feels incredible. It feels like I'm doing something right. You know, that's what it tells me is that I'm, if my intention is to do two things, to show up in this world, demonstrating, not just talking about it, but demonstrating that women and Black women in particular belong in every single space in society in a full, authentic way. And the other one is to manifest conversation and, and the kind of real like possibility of what a better shared humanity is amongst all people in our very beautiful America. If I can do those things at work, I don't think there's a better way to do it than at the view. That's how I feel about it. And the fact that I even get to sit one or two days at that table and just live that intention feels incredible. It's like a huge honor. Have you heard from Megan McCain since, and are you disappointed at all in the sense that she won't be there to, you know, maybe spar with? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll say that. Uh, if anything, you know, Megan and I, you know, it was, it was, it was a time at Fox, you know, and, and I, I do enjoy sparring with Megan. Again, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier in the conversation, my, I, I don't get flustered or frustrated or upset or heaven forbid angry when someone takes a different position. That's the, that's kind of the sport of it. I mean, you understand this as a litigator, what are you going to do? Put your, you know, pack up your toys and go home because opposing counsels, you know, making an adverse argument. That's the point. The point is they make their argument. You make theirs. And hopefully you, you, some, somewhere along the, the way, justice is found. That's what this thing is. So, um, and Megan and I, we're, we're, we're really good at it. So there's a little bit of what, it, what, what, what would it have been like um, to, to have that opportunity to be at the table with her. But listen, what I do know for sure is that the women of The View are some of the smartest women in television. They're some of the best um, prepared and experienced women um, with diverse, like I was actually watching um, a clip this morning of Sonny and Sarah Haynes debating really the merits of Monica Lewinsky monetizing her story. And I loved it because uh, it was vintage The View. You know, it was beyond just, to me, what I find really boring and like raggedy and lazy, not of the women, but just of the way news can be produced these days, the same old Republican versus Democrat bullshit that we'll hear till we're dead. Who cares? I don't care anyway. Um, so to hear these more vintage view conversations that are really about the complication between uh, culture and what's a victim and who has accountability between men and women and age and infidelity and power like it was just rich and good and so that feels very exciting to potentially take part in those conversations well mentioning monica Lewinsky, if you're not watching american crime story i am it's honey you know i am it's first of all anything with sarah paulson honey please 
it's so right. Like, it's so good. What do you think is the biggest misconception about Ebony K. Williams? I think the biggest one, because there's a few, (laughs) is that I am somehow representative of a Black trauma story. That's what I think. I think, um, and you kind of see it in the scene during this season where in Salem, that low point night where Ramona, you know, is, is saying to me, I don't see you as a victim and I don't think your life's been hard and da da da, da which, and, 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 you know, look at you, you've got better clothes than me or something silly, she said. But I was sad for Ramona in that point, David, because I thought to myself, this woman is missing it. She's missing all of it. And I think she's, she actually is representative of quite the majority of people, black, white, and other, that irresponsibly and ignorantly equate blackness with trauma. They hear the word blackness and they immediately think you're going to a sad, um, traumatized, oppressive place. When the reality is everything about when I brought up race this season, and actually when I bring up race every day in life, whether it's on my Instagram page, as I'm advocating for uh, the people in Haiti or whatever, it is to talk about the beauty of the Black American experience. That's my work. It is a beautiful culture. It is a beautiful story of resilience, of triumph, of reinvention, and of progress. Um, And any time there was a conversation that was other than that, David, it was only a reaction and an accountability point of a castmate who stepped in it, stepped in it by way of microaggression, stepped in it by way of stonewalling, and stepped in it by way of hostility towards me being able to sit in a space with my full authentic Blackness and not be forced into emotional submission Like I just had to watch my sister Garcelle be forced into on Beverly Hills. I think that I hope people are paying attention to what happened there because that is a cautionary tale as to what happens when you refuse to give space to this woman's full identity and experience. And she's earned it. Yeah. And she's earned it. Have you spoken to Garcelle since this aired? I have. I have. I'm glad you guys spoke. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular you spoke about? Many things, you know, but it's a sacred sisterhood. And I hope you can appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real special sorority within a sorority that all of us have collectively and kind of one-on-one relationships with one another by way of Garcelle, Tiffany, Crystal, and myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed to be a part of it and blessed to have women that, um, are, are, are having their own unique experiences uh, integrating, you know, these shows. And it can be a painful experience, as we saw the other night with Garcelle. Um, and it could also be a really, really beautiful one. Like, I loved the, the episode where she was able to share, um, you know, Haiti uh, with her castmates and how prolific. And see, for, for audience members, this is, you know, really important here. For audience members that said, 
I don't watch this show to be educated or schooled or preached to or whatever gaslight term you want to use, because that's all that is. Here's why it's important what Garcelle is doing and what I have done and what Crystal and Tiffany are doing by way of dumpling sessions. When you share your culture, right, the beauty of your culture, whether it's H- what Wendy Osefa is doing on Potomac when she had that beautiful yeah. baby naming ceremony, I believe, for her daughter, Cameron, which celebrates the beauty of the Nigerian people. When we do that, y'all, it's not us standing on a soapbox. What we are doing is the benevolent work of humanizing our people. And and if you want to know why that's necessary in 2021, look at what's going on with the Haitian migrants right now who are stuck on an American border seeking legal asylum the best way they know how, okay? And, 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 And look at the treatment of these people. The treatment is due to a lack of humanizing of a fellow human being. And that goes back to what seems simple, like it's just housewives. Yeah, it is housewives. It's a powerful, potent platform that can change the lives of everyday people. I agree. Two final questions before we wrap up. Well, when we first spoke, you know, like you mentioned, the first thing we talked about is you said your goal was, and you mentioned here again today, is to be 100% authentically yourself. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, indifferent, however it plays out. Mm -hmm. I mean... I, I, I know the answer, but I have to ask, like, do you feel you've accomplished that goal? I'll answer the question, but I want to know what you think. I think we've had a couple conversations now. What you see is what you get when we're talking. So when you compare that to what you saw on air all season long, how does it, how does it uh, reconcile to you? I mean, I really truly feel you are hundred percent authentically yourself. And I do not say that about plenty of, people that I speak to housewives or not. I mean, I keep that to myself usually, but mm-hmm. I feel that I can tell, you know, and I feel like mm-hmm. you would be here today if you weren't with like a different angle, because you would feed into all the stuff that's being said online. And you would say, mm-hmm. let me talk about something else and shy away from all this, but you're, you're right. not because that is authentically you. So good, bad, or indifferent, you are true to yourself. That's my honest opinion. Well, I thank you for that, David, because it, 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 that's what it is, right? And I listen, lots of people, including Black women, have to, it's close friends of mine, so, so, you know, whatever. And like, we get it. We know this is you. We know this is you all day, every day. But don't you think it might have been worth it to scale it back, ease into it, um, save some of that for a second or third season? And here's what I say to that. Two things. Number one, I'm a woman of faith. Tomorrow's not promised, right? Like that's real, especially that's real. in the wake. That's real, especially in the wake of a global, not even the wake. We're still in a global pandemic. So the calculus for me just didn't work on that approach. I'll come back. There we go. The calculus for me just didn't work on that approach, David, because that would be me betting on for sure coming back as a housewife two, three, four more seasons. Um, We can ask many one and doneers how that worked out for them. So the reality was, and this was very strategic on my part. If I only literally get, pardon this corny pun, one bite at the apple, I got to take it and run with it because tomorrow's not promised in life or as a housewife. So I had to give everything that I have 
by way of my love affair with women, with sisterhood. I mean, beyond just the blackness of it all, that's why I leaned in so quickly and, and, and intensely with Sonia Morgan, because I don't know if I'll have another season of film with Sonia Morgan for a litany of different reasons. But what I know is this, when I see Sonia Morgan, I truly see a woman of high value. I see a woman who has not had enough people in her life over the course of her life pour into her goodness. There's too many people that, that pour into the spectacle. There's too many people that pour into the object, objectification. And I just wanted to be different energy for this woman. And if it's one season, it's one season. But hopefully it, it makes a difference for her. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I know I felt the need to do it. So that's that calculus. The other calculus is this. You know, I tried that slow drip approach um, of my kind of potency uh, when I was at Fox News. I was at Fox News almost five years. And the first few years I was there, David, um, early years, very young, very green in the news business. There was a little bit of that just happy to be there. Not that I ever compromised on my um, intellectual or value system, because I always said what I really felt and thought, particularly from a legal lens. But there was some trepidation, right? Like, I don't want to go too hard or too strong. It's particularly on these other people's shows, because I started just as like a guest of or a contributor. So if I'm on O'Reilly's show, there's only so far I'm going to go on this fan's show. If I'm on Hannity, there's only so much I'm going to say on his platform. And what happened by the time I ended my career at Fox is I had been promoted to co-hosting a show and anchoring the news on the weekend. So by then I could be full throttle. You know, I could go in um, on, you know, different people and hold people to account. And, you know, you can Google Ebony and Trump docket and you could see how far I end up going there. But in retrospect, um, that took a lot of time. That's five years to finally get to a place of saying it how you really mean it. And the one thing I know about housewives that are successful and iconic is they really say it how they mean it from day one. And so that, that is my personal standard. So whatever other people think of me as a housewife, David, I, I can respect it, but I really don't give a shit. I think I was an iconic first year housewife. I said it how I meant it from the very first scene um, I stayed true to myself and my God. I think I represented an excellent um, template for what women can be, because I've heard that from a lot of women and mothers and fathers. Like, it's the kind of thing that they would like their young daughters to look at by way of what's possible and aspirational when you work hard. And I'm proud of all of that. So I wouldn't do a damn thing different. Right. And then you could have no regrets. I mean, you put it all out there. Mm-hmm. Final question, I promise. Well, for all the people, you know, the said, say you're so serious and all this other stuff, what does Ebony K. Williams do for fun? What, what does a night out in New York City look like for you? Oh, man. Um, so I had one, I've, I've had two recently. One I went to, um, it, I mean, it was an LGBTQ plus day party, honey. My, my incredible, super gorgeous co-host on my podcast, Holding Court, Dustin Ross, picked me up. I put on my club outfit. Auntie E put on her club outfit and my fuchsia lipstick. And we had a time. I don't remember how I got home. Truly. All I know is somebody gave me a Popeye's chicken sandwich and some fries that I consumed in the Uber before I got home. Because when I got home, I had the bag 
to prove that I had the chicken sandwich, but I don't remember any of that. I don't remember eating it. I think it was delicious. Um, and that was my night. And then the next morning I popped up and went to work. So she's, she still got it, David. Listen, I mean, it's always like when you wake up and you see like the pizza, the food, the McDonald's. Yeah, you're like, like I, and it's like you see pieces of it, like starting to come back to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we were drinking Casamigos straight for like four hours. Uh, mm, yep, that was it. Yeah. So it was, it was fun. It was great. Like I hadn't really been out. You know, we're still kind of coming back as a city. So it was, you know, obviously everyone's vaccinated everybody's, you know, like trying to, you know, respect some, some, some protocol here, but it was a great time. It was a great time. And then I had another night out, just a one-on-one with a sorority sister who was in town from Texas. And we just went to the Baccarat and drank champagne and martinis and did some epic people watching. It was really funny. This older guy, which I love older men, so that's not the tea, but this, I don't know, this man just kept coming up to the table and trying to talk our ear off. And it was such a grown woman moment where in my 20s, my girlfriends and I would entertain that annoying bullshit of this man just kind of running up on your space and wasting your time because he wants to be entertained by beautiful women. And we would do it in exchange for a round of drinks because we were broke. So this guy was like, oh, I got the next round. And (laughs) Lindsay, that's my friend's name. I was like, you know what, sir? I was like, you seem delightful. Truly, you do. Because he was there, like, with a work conference. It's like, so you're sitting at the Baccarat bar with a lanyard around your neck. Like, get out of here. But anyway, he's like, um, I got the next round of drinks on me, ladies. I, and, and then it's like, talking about where you're from. And ch- Sir, we're having a girls' night. We are catching up on old times. I'm sure you're lovely and delightful. But we're actually good over here. I want you to enjoy your evening, and we'll bid you a good night. And so basically he was dismissed and she just was like dying laughing because she was just like, I just wish people could see, could see this part of you. I was like, you know, time will tell. It'll, 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 it'll reveal itself. But I'm just grateful for the resources now <laughs> to not have to exchange cocktails for conversation. I love it. And right. There's no, there's no world that you should be sitting at the Baccarat bar with a lanyard around you. That's honey, like, honey, I, I'm already sir. like, yeah. Sir, it's, it's, you've, you've missed your target audience, whatever your target audience was, this ain't it. I can assure you. Not at the Baccarat. Not at the Baccarat, sir. Lovely gentlemen, but just not for us and not for tonight. And don't, don't think we're some you know, some broke raggedy bitches sitting around waiting on you to come around and buy us around. We actually right. work, which is wonderful. We can afford our own drinks. Right? <laughs> I love it. I have a vivid picture now in my memory. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything else you want to get off your chest? I always like to give people a chance at the end to share whatever they want. Thank you for answering all my questions. Of course, you had great questions. You always do. I think the main thing I wanted to share, and I think we got deeply into it, is just I want people to think, a little, and I think, sadly, well, I won't say sadly, I think Garcelle, in this recent episode of her, you know, really having a bit of a, a breakthrough, break, what we'll call it breakthrough, um, I, I think I want people to sit with that and sit with the complication. And this is not an indictment of her castmates. It's just to say, you cannot just helicopter in a woman of color, particularly a woman of distinction and color into an all white social circle, because that's the other thing. 
Housewives shows are built on a lot of different elements, but I think the most fundamental one, David, is social currency. Social currency. So that's wealth, physical, tangible wealth. That's uh, social status through marriage. That's um, beauty, aesthetics. That's professional uh, status, what you do for a living, your celebrity, your career status. That could be education for some of us. You know, I think that's why, you know, Dr. Wendy had so much, you know, noise around her debut season as, you know, a, a PhD in Potomac. So just consider that when you take all those traditional buckets of social currency that make housewives interesting, the racial cultural one is a special one because it's one that complicates all those other buckets. And just consider that when you're, when, you know, when people offer these searing critiques of what they expect a housewife show to look like, know that it will always have, whether it's being said or not said, because I feel like season one with Garcelle, there wasn't a lot said about it. But what you're seeing finally her talking about this season is it's been there the whole time. Right. And I don't know what the hell is going on in Salt Lake City with Mary Cosby and what the hell, I don't know what them tweets are about, but. I just saw that this morning. By the way. Hands, hand to God, David. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, my name's Bennett and I ain't in that one, so. I love that you actually really, truly know every single thing that's going on. Uh, like you, you might be coming from my job after you, you're done with, the, you know, like you really know what's going on on every single show. It's I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I really am. And I made no apologies about that even during my casting, you know, and I think, you know, for any, you know, future housewife joining any franchise, like it's totally okay to be a fan of this iconic cultural juggernaut. Um, and, you know, it just, it, to me, it enriches my experience as an actual housewife to be able to um, sit with the experiences as a viewer um, and then also have some behind the scenes relationships with these women. So I think it's all very dope. My, my net takeaway is this has been amazing. I'd love to do it again. Um, it's been life changing and affirming for me in many ways. And I just love representing a different kind of housewife. I'm not saying there's not a place for the kooky, silly, you know, always having the, you know, drinks and like, totally. Hold on one second. I, I think, I think that purely fun, quirky, kooky housewife is amazing. I just think we're in 2021 and we can have a multitude of different kinds of housewives at this point. I agree. Well, any day you want to have a drink at the Baccarat and talk about housewives, we could, I mean. Yes, yes. And we'll, we'll, we will promptly dismiss any gentleman with lanyards. Please, please shoot them away. <laughs> Where can everyone follow you online who wants to follow you? Yeah, it's, it's Ebony K. Williams, E-B-O-N-I-K Williams, all over Twitter. It's actually, I don't really tweet that much. Instagram. You want to catch me on social, catch me on Instagram. I really appreciate your time. Like, thank you for taking your time and sorry That's to keep fun. you. And no, it's I, fun. Um, I always like talking to you, David. You're, you're a gym. I always love talking to you too. Congratulations again on The View. Keep thank in touch. Thank you, lovely. I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye, babe. 
Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.